Hey there, I'm Christopher Schoenwald, and welcome to Life as a, a show intently focused on helping people find their professional pathway by exploring and unearthing the details of jobs from around the world. When you deeply consider the world we live and operate within, there's probably one word that best captures it all, change. I mean, humans have this fascinating knack for evolving and adapting ourselves to best suit our surroundings, conditions, and demands put upon us. And look no further than the rise of tech and what that has meant to so many facets of life and living. IT has all but reorganized the workplace, the systems, and customs attached to it all. Now, healthcare would be another sector in which we've come to reinvent the wheel as far as practice and administration is concerned. Heck, some might even consider the transformations taking shape across many industries right now related to the climate crisis as the latest example of change. Impressive, right? Yeah, it probably is. However, acknowledging all of this makes my next point all the more confounding. Why is it that much of our mainstream educational practice in schools the world over still largely follows a set of principles, beliefs, and customs that were instilled at the onset of the 19th century? You know, arguably, such philosophies and practices do not align with present-day student or societal needs. Well, on today's show, I have a guest who is equally concerned by our lack of educational progress, but granted, he has actually been doing something about it. We'll hear more about his work and even his take on solutions to this critically important problem. All right, welcome to the show. So John Tan is the Singapore-based CEO and founder of Doyobi, an impact-driven, metaverse-based edtech company that focuses on skill building for children aged 8 to 13 through collaborative problem-solving. Now, the aim of this company is to inspire children to become curious, self-directed learners, original thinkers, and to lead a life with a sense of purpose. However, John Tan represents much more than just his latest venture. He's also quite busy with many other activities, including and not limited to the following. And get this, CEO, co-founder of Singapore-based program Saturday Kids, which is the program manager of Code in the Community, the largest free coding program in Singapore. Code in the Community is supported by Google and the Singapore government. Board of Director for NinjaVan, a logistics company with nearly 60,000 employees, which leverages cutting-edge technology-enabled delivery systems to serve markets in Southeast Asia. NinjaVan went through Series E funding, raising $578 million U.S. million. Board Member of Erudify, a company with a mission to help Southeast Asian students stay in school by giving them affordable financing options. Headquartered in Singapore with operations in Indonesia and the Philippines, the startup has raised 5 million USD in Series A funding. Erudify currently works with more than 50 universities and vocational schools in Indonesia and the Philippines. And John is also an active investor, and so much so, he has invested in over 80 companies via his activity and involvement as a partner at Aid Capita, an early and growth stage angel funding company which makes investments in profitable companies and partner at BWB Ventures, an early-stage VC fund with a focus on Y Combinator-backed startups. Furthermore, John is also an Obama leader for Asia-Pacific. This is a program under the Obama Foundation Leaders Program that seeks to inspire, empower, and connect emerging leaders from across the APAC region. Now, finally, 
and perhaps most meaningful to John, is that he's a family man through and through in being a father of five. So with all that said to John, I mean, it's an absolute honor to welcome you to the program. How are you doing? Thank you. Thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, I mean, it's an honor to have you on. And uh, I think even during the pre-recording, I've referenced this a couple of times, you sound like a busy guy outside of having five children, all that you're involved with. Yeah, yeah, I do appreciate you, uh, you taking some time to, to join the program. So with all of that in mind, maybe we can just jump right into it. I have the first segment lined up and it's something called Coloring Wikipedia. Now, as my guests know, it's basically a segment where I read off a definition of the guest profession. I do it for a few reasons. One, it brings everybody up to speed on what the profession is all about or what the work is all about. And another reason too, I think it's just, you know, we as individuals, professionals, we put our own stamp on things and what you're doing could be completely different to another person who holds the exact same title. So I think it, it's, a, it's a nice starting point for the discussion. And then also lastly too, I mean, sometimes Wikipedia is just flat out off on the definition of the reading. So it's also interesting in that sense. Now, what I have done here for you, I put you down for two definitions here that I think are relevant to the talk. And this might be the first time within the Life as a Podcast that uh, a guest has received two definitions from Wikipedia. But uh, if that's all right with you, I'm just going to read off one, being an entrepreneur, and two, we're going to go with the industry of ed tech. Is that all right? Yeah, go for it. All right, here we go. So entrepreneur. An entrepreneur is an individual who creates and or invests in one or more businesses, bearing most of the risks and enjoying most of the rewards. The entrepreneur is commonly seen as an innovator, a source of new ideas, good services, and businesses or procedures. Kind of short and sweet on that one. Very general. Now, let me just read off the EdTech one too. So EdTech, educational technology, commonly abbreviated as EdTech, is the combined use of computer hardware, software, and educational theory to facilitate learning. It is often referring to the industry of companies that create educational technology. In addition to practical educational experience, educational technology is based on theoretical knowledge from various disciplines such as communication, education, psychology, sociology, artificial intelligence, and computer science. It encompasses several domains, including learning theory, computer-based learning, online learning, and mobile learning. That one was a bit of a mouthful, but first take, what do you think, John? Well, so I think an entrepreneur is a builder, somebody who builds things, starting with a product or a service, um, and then having a vehicle to do that. So they end up building a company as well, right? So that to me is a straightforward definition of what being an entrepreneur is. It's about building and building with a purpose yeah. and, and being very clear about who you are building for and why you are building it. And that's actually uh, something that we are helping kids learn through Doyobi. So we have a quest that is focused on entrepreneurship, right? And mm -hmm. I want it to go way beyond the classics of laminate stand and figuring out how much the lemons cost, the rental of the stand, and right. you know, figuring out your gross profit. Um, I think it's a lot more than that. And with young people, I think what's really, really important is to get them into that maker and builder mindset. Mm, well said, well said. In terms of, I guess, the, the ed tech definition itself, I know that one's a bit wordier, but what did, uh, what did you think of that? Well, I think it's about using technology to scale the impact that education can have. And specifically, for me, it is about unlocking the 
originality and and creativity of kids and young people. And I think maybe that's what's missing in the world right now. And my my beef with ad tech in general is that a lot of ad tech is still focused on doing what school's doing, but doing it better, right? So focus on helping kids with standardized tests and academic help. But to what end, I think is the question. Yeah, that's a really good point. And I think it's going to be one that we're going to be exploring quite thoroughly in this talk. I'm glad you brought that up early. In terms of just really quickly getting a rough idea on a typical day or week for you in, in your world, I don't even know if such a thing exists with all the activities that you're involved in, but yeah, maybe maybe on the Doyobi side. You know. Yeah. So a lot of the work that I do at Doyobi is actually, well, educating parents on why what we do is important yeah. and why we deserve their time and their kids' time because it's rarely about the the money, right? It's not the fees that the parents cannot afford. It's the time. And kids are generally way overscheduled because parents believe that in order for their child to be successful in future, what matters most today is doing well in school and doing well in school in a society like Singapore and not just limited to Singapore is, is basically topping the class, right? Or topping the school. So it's all about academic performance. And what I'm trying to tell parents is that academic achievements mean very little in the real world because I'm an entrepreneur myself and I hire, right? And I've invested in a bunch of, of startups and I speak to these founders. And when I ask them what they hire for, nobody ever says, oh, I, I'm looking for someone who taught her geography class or like I'm looking for someone who is really good with like chemistry. Like it never happens, right? right. So typically what they would say will be things like, I'm looking for problem solvers. I'm looking for people who can reason from first principles. I'm looking for people who can collaborate and, and work together as a team. I'm looking for creative folks, right? Who can apply creativity to help the company solve problems. And these are all life skills or transferable skills or you know 21st century skills, whatever you want to call them. The point is that school is not helping kids learn these skills. That's right. And oftentimes parents will say, oh, but you know, these are skills that my child will learn eventually. And my question would be eventually when? And right. if they are so important, why aren't you helping them learn it now? Because it's not skills that apply only when they get out to the real world, right? Yeah. Critical thinking or creativity. Like these are skills that will help an eight-year-old today. Sure. Um, so I think the, the work that I do, and going back to your question about my day-to-day, is educating parents and trying to convince them to be intentional about helping kids learn these skills. Mm, yeah well said yeah i i can understand that in the sense that like right now i think we're just on that cusp of well you know optimistically speaking of maybe further change coming you know hopefully the, there are conversations like this taking place right there's businesses like yours as well you know not exactly the same but businesses out there that do see this or people individuals you know uh educators themselves who see this and recognize this 
Now it just comes down to you know having these education systems kind of get in line, but just tracking history and how long that's taken, we can understand that it's probably going to take quite some time. So it's, it's nice to have these options for parents, but I can imagine, yeah, the educational process of just getting them to fully understand and comprehend, you know, the needs and the reasons for this could, uh, yeah, could take a bit of time on, on your end or anyone's end who's trying to uh, to lead that charge. Yeah, I mean, just last week, I saw an article in the in the papers that the Singapore government wants to introduce design thinking to the curriculum by 2050. 2050. 2050. Yeah. <laughs> That's, my, my kids will be almost 40, right? Yeah. So this would be for what my grandkids' generation. Like, yeah. it's insane. Yeah. So what, one thing I know for sure is that change is not going to happen fast enough for my kids. So mm. to a very large extent, I do what I do at Doyobi and at Saturday Kids because my kids need to learn these skills. And yeah. if there are limited opportunities for them to, to learn these skills, then as an entrepreneur, I, I should solve my own problems, right? Yeah, well said. Well, maybe we can kind of continue this sentiment and sharing of this sentiment into the uh, the next segment, something called a Q&A discovery. We can just kind of continue this back and forth. And the first question that I do have lined up does kind of continue on with what we were just speaking of. You know, we've kind of spoke about some of these challenges within the current educational systems. And again, I think this is like, you know, it's, it's the world over as I referenced off the top, but it's particularly, you know, I think strong or, or a bit of an issue in Asia in particular. You know, I'm based here within Japan and same thing, standardized tests. Uh, you know, they rule the roost, essentially. And then parents are always, you know, ultra concerned, schools are ultra concerned for these scores. And we're just speaking to that point of that's not necessarily the most important thing. Now, in terms of what you're doing with the OB, maybe this might be a nice opportunity for you to share, you know, what makes your business you know, unique, your, your platform unique, what value does it serve for parents? And of course, most importantly, for children. Yeah, so the premise of Doyobi is that for kids to learn skills like critical thinking or collaboration, the most effective way is for them to actually apply and practice these skills. And so we work backwards from that, right? So we ask ourselves, what are the changes we want to see in, in the kids? So mm -hmm. we want them to be action-oriented. We want them to have growth mindset. We want them to be global citizens, right? And then we figure out how do we get kids to learn the skills and develop the mindsets that we want to see. And so what we've done is we create quests in the metaverse. And through these quests, kids have to apply critical thinking or they have to work with other kids or they have to be creative about solving a problem. And that's how they acquire these skills, right? And it's actually not anything revolutionary because this idea actually started in the in the nordics um it's called live action role playing luck mm -hmm. the difference and that's it goes back to our earlier uh, conversation about the definition of ad tech right is mm -hmm. that luck is not scalable in order to do a luck session you need props you need costumes you need to have the space and you can only do it with the kids in the room right and what we've done in the metaverse is we basically have props, have costumes, have everything that you know you would do in an actual lab session, 
but in the virtual world and we can make it accessible to any kid in the world. And I, I think that's what makes us special. Agreed. And, you know, in, in researching for this talk, that was one of the things that stood out immediately. And, you know, to add to all of this, you, know, you can tell me if I'm onto something or not, but I like as well how you're you're playing into something that is naturally attracting children, right? This notion of games and technology and being online, like those are things that kids want to do anyways these days. So if you're able to tie in like learning opportunities for them where they don't even know they're learning it in that moment, you know, but they are, they're taking on all these different life lessons and these skills through and through, like that's when you know you've kind of struck gold, I would think, you know, is yeah. you can hit that, hit that mark. And I'm assuming that's probably part of what you're you're aiming to do, recognizing those things what I was just speaking of. Am I into something there? Or? Yeah. So the challenge is measuring um, these skills and dispositions, right? So how do I prove to a parent that, hey, your child has gone from 50 to 80 in terms of her ability to think critically? It's It's very, very hard to measure and it takes time. And also the other thing that, parents kind of expect is that you know it's a program and there's an end point so they always ask you know how long is the program right like how long does it take for my child to be a critical thinker and the problem with that is it's it's non-binary right it's not zero or one it's until you die, right? Exactly. Until you die. It's, you're becoming a lifelong learner is what it is. We're shaping you into that or shaping your child into that. Exactly. And I think an interesting point is that if parents actually thought critically, they would realize that whatever school's teaching their kids is doing nothing to prepare their, their child for, for the future where, you know, jobs... Uh, being created all the time and our kids will be working in jobs that don't exist today right so in in some ways the the inability of parents to even imagine that future mm. is because they never learn to think critically right they just follow whatever the system is and you know they assume that this is the best path for their child but if they really sat down and, and think about it, it, it's not true. Yeah, that sounds quite familiar from what, uh, you know, conversations that I've had or overheard here within Japan too. Very much similar in that sense. And probably elsewhere too, uh, to be uh, to be even clearer. But yeah, thank you for sharing that. I think that's, uh, it sheds a lot of light, I think, on some of the challenges that are faced right now. But then also too, in terms of what Doyobi is all about and some of the, the opportunities there to kind of shift mindsets and, and you know establish some degree of change within this in this whole system so i do have another question here and again in researching for this talk you know i, I went back and tried to find out as much as i could and on linkedin you know i understand you're quite active there and sharing your your passion and your your ideas in terms of a lot of your, your thoughts and ideas towards education and i found this one post in particular that i'd like to read off for listeners and for you of course as well and then after i'll ask, ask you to comment let me just read that off for you right now. So you wrote, I'm a product of Asian privilege. I went to the right school, made the right friends, built the right network. But privilege, by definition, only applies to the few. It's time to rethink the old boys, girls network and consider whether an individual's life options should be limited by what school they went to and who they met there. Now, I love this for a couple of reasons. One is just the authenticity you know, that it offers. And then two, you know, it kind of 
feeds into this notion of passion that you have for, you know, what you believe in as far as, you know, education and specifically related to Doyobi. And maybe you could comment on that. Yeah. So I guess what I'm trying to say through this post is that in future, the most important people you meet as a young person, as a teenager, is they are not necessarily the people you went to school with. I think possibly they are the people that you build projects with, that you make things with, right? So going back to the definition of entrepreneurship and being an entrepreneur, it's about this maker mindset. So what if the most important people in, in your life as a 30-year-old are the people that you met at a, in a Doyobi class when you were 12, right? And you spent one year working on this project that you that you think will address climate change or will address it some form of inequality. Mm-hmm. Um, that's really what, what I'm trying to say because I don't necessarily believe that the people who go to the best school in this day and age are going to be the people who will be the most successful 20 years from now. Yeah, Simply because the education system is not evolving at the pace at which the world is changing, right? And we've already had this discussion that it's not going to evolve fast enough for our kids. So I I think the, the premise here is that the people who will be successful 20 years from now will be the the kids who grow up learning all these skills, right? And learning about themselves, having that self-awareness to understand what is it that is important to them? What do they want to spend their career doing, right? Mm -hmm. And not just going down this path because my parents went down that path and, you know, it's the, it's the path of least resistance. Right. And I think that's the trap that so many people fall into, right? So many of my peers, you know, uh, are doing something that, you know, it's just what is expected as an Asian kid, right? You, yeah. They're doing it to please their parents or to please somebody yeah. else, but it's not necessarily what they have a passion for. Yeah, exactly that. Yeah. I really like that as well, you know, that that pose for the idea of just decentralization of education, you know, it doesn't matter necessarily, you know, how much money your parents have in their bank accounts. Like you said, I mean, the the kids going through, you know, a prep school that's, you know, rather expensive that most people can't afford to get into might not be as best prepared, you know, for the needs and, and wants of the future society. So somebody who's going into a program such as Doyobi or something similar, you know, they're going to be learning the skills that are going to be required. And that offers a lot of opportunity for people who, you know, can't get into these, again, elite schools. And I think that's, that's a powerful sort of thought as well that I really like. It just sort of like levels the playing field, if you will. Yeah. And I'm hearing stories of parents who went to elite schools who are now opting out of sending their kids to the same elite school because they they don't want their kids to be put in a pressure cooker environment, right? Yeah. Where it's so focused on academic achievements that their kids have no time and space to do anything else. So these are the enlightened parents, right? Yeah. And I guess a lot of my work is to convince more parents to think like that. 
Mm, well said. Yeah. Anecdotally, I'd just like to add as well, not too long ago, I came across a conversation. I myself have children as well. And there was somebody in my daughter's class who she's in grade three. And there was one of her classmates. And the mother had said, Oh, yes, well, we we just pulled out so and so, you know, the child's name from all of her extracurricular activities, she was doing piano, she was doing some sports. And the reason being is she has to get serious now and start studying harder. She's already going to school, obviously. But in Japan, I don't know if it's similar or not, but there's the cram school system within Japan, too, where oftentimes parents will send their, their children to cram schools after the regular school completes for upwards of two, three hours. And the further they you know, age, you know, get older, the longer that those cram school sessions go. They could be there four or five hours until nine, ten at night. But probably for this child, the parents are going easy, maybe only two or three hours a night. But in grade three, I think mean, it was grade three, yeah, grade three, they asked her to stop doing all of those fun activities so she could get serious and study, you know, for her future. And it just, it just broke my heart. It just broke my heart. I mean, all those extra, extracurriculars completely devalued, but all the skills that are being involved in that and the development of that child, you know, social relationships and, you know, whatever else she's doing, whatever, you know, skill that she's building in, say, piano or or whatever it might be. I mean, it's just, it's, yeah, it's a sad reflection on the state of education is what I'm trying to get at here. So, yeah, well, it, you know, in Singapore, the, the the funny thing is parents send their kids for extra piano classes because if you're really good at playing the piano, yeah. it's a way to get into a good school. So parents are not sending their kids for piano lessons because they want their kids to develop, you know, an appreciation mm -hmm. for music, right? It's yeah. because... There's this thing called direct schools admission and what parents are after is the easiest or the most reliable way to get my kid into a good school. It's no longer learning for the sake of learning, but learning for, you know, this other goal, which is to get into the school. Yeah, yeah. God, we need change. We need change here, John. I do have another question here as well. And in terms of this whole world of ed tech, you know, again, off the top, I'd reference some of the other things that you're involved with that are outside of ed tech. I'd like to know what pulled you into that world. You know, what, what initially attracted you to it all? Yeah, so I was really bored at school, like from a young age, right? I, I just knew that whatever I was learning in school has very little relevance to the real world. And so you know, now that I'm a dad and I see what my kids are going through, it's the, it's the exact same thing, right? And I just feel like that's not right. Kids should love learning, right? Uh, it, it's something that they should be excited about rather than something they dread. And if you ask, you know, any kid in Singapore, uh, in fact, in, in most countries, whether they like learning, they just associate learning with studying for the sake of taking an exam right and that's just that's just wrong so yeah that, that's what i'm what i'm trying to fix mm. and so you to, to maybe paraphrase a little bit you saw ed tech is maybe one way or one medium or vehicle to kind of advance that agenda or that cause that you feel so passionately about would that be yeah exactly right so how do we use technology to help kids learn better and when I say learn better, I don't mean, you know, learn like math or calculus or, or chemistry more effectively, but to help them learn what is important and what is meaningful. 
um, not just in terms of skills and dispositions, but also in terms of learning about themselves, right? How do they uncover what they are good at? How do they uncover what they are passionate about? And how do they find that purpose? Because I, I don't believe that you need to be in your 30s to start thinking about the like your purpose, right? Like what you really want to do in life. I think this is something that a young person, you know, can can start thinking about already. And the the problem with many societies is that for a very long time, parents have told their kids that your purpose is to study hard to get into a good school, right? So, and that's sort of what my understanding of purpose was when I was a kid, right? And it, it just makes no sense. Like, it, it makes no sense to tell a child that the reason for your existence as a young person is to study hard. And and so many kids, because of that, don't have a childhood, right? I, I saw a I saw a TikTok video a couple of days ago of this uh, girl. She must be you know eight or nine in China, and she was crying and she was basically having an argument with her father about all the studying time that she has to do. And she was like, you know, why don't I deserve playtime? You know, why don't I deserve you know space to be a child? And this is coming from an eight year old, right? It's it's just heartbreaking. It is. It really is. And uh, yeah, God, I hope we, we we can move this agenda forward and uh, and instill change. Because at least like I am finding, and probably for you too. I mean, you're you're much more embedded within that world. Obviously, with your enterprise with Adobe, you're you're probably speaking to a lot of people too. And you know, we focus to this point on a lot of parents, perhaps, or or conversations of you know people that or conversations with people that don't necessarily get it. But I'm guessing as well that you've spoken to people that are equally passionate about advancing this cause. Would that be a correct assumption? Yeah. So like just before this call, I, I spoke to an educator. She runs an outfit called Imagine If. And it's basically a micro school that provides bespoke education for every single learner. So the, the starting point is always about what does this child want? what's best for the child. And then the educators at Imaginif will design a curriculum or a, a plan for, for this child, right? And I, I really do think that, that that's the way education should be. Obviously, yeah. it's hard to do at scale and it's impossible to do in a traditional school. And, and I guess that's where technology comes in, right? So again, going back to EdTech, I just wish that EdTech is used for a better purpose, you know, to create these sort of bespoke learning journeys rather than to help kids learn calculus more effectively. Yeah, yeah, that's a really, really good point and worth re-mentioning. So thank you for doing so. You know, I do have one last question in this segment, and this is a little bit more broad in general, kind of not referencing only, you know, EdTech and Doyobi, but in reference to all that you do. You know, again, you seem like a pretty busy guy. And personally, I mean, it'd be fascinating to know what drives you forward, you know, in terms of all of this. Is this something that you can kind of like tangibly connect to experiences growing up? Or is this something that is just subconscious and you're not even sure what, what the reasons is, what motivates you and pushes you or propels you forward? Yeah, so at the Obama Foundation, we have a saying, we are the ones. 
mm. right? So we are the ones who will make the change we want to see. Mm. Um, and that's really what drives me, right? I've, I'm very clear about what change I want to see. And I, I know that it's a very long shot and it's going to take a long time. And, you know, I'm going to have to convince millions of parents but I know that I want to see kids uh, thrive, right? And I want to see kids have a childhood. I want to see kids enjoy learning. And because I have such a clear outcome in mind, that, mm-hmm. that drives me. Mm-hmm. And I think that's exactly what I'm hoping to, to give kids, right? To have that very clear goal or very clear outcome so that they know what they're working towards and whatever they're spending their their time on they are very clear that you know they are they know why they're doing it right right and that kind of links back up in terms of ed tech even on you know one of the attractive points of it is scalability you know i suppose as well and being able to reach you know like you said those numbers whether it's you know hundreds of thousands or millions of people eventually like if you can get your ideas across or your platform across and people enough people buy in you know that's how change occurs as you know and as i well know so yeah it's encouraging in that sense and that's exactly what we need i mean we need people like you pushing advancing these agendas forward and conversations like these quite frankly that can expose these ideas to more people all right. Well, maybe this is a nice point to to shift into this middle segment, something called a water cooler story. And here I just ask guests to indulge listeners with the story relating to their profession. So I'm really eager to hear what you have for us today, John. Yeah, I mean, it's just something that came to mind when I was a teenager at around age 14, 15. I was really into football and I wanted to be a professional footballer. And that's really difficult in Singapore, right? Because we don't really have a professional league and also uh, we have to do uh, national service, right? So two years uh, of conscription in the prime of a young footballer. Right. Um, so, and also, you know, Chinese parents, there's no way they would have let me pers- pursue that. And then when I got a bit older at around uh, 17 or 18, I really wanted to be a film director because I, I really got into films, right? And I don't mean like Hollywood blockbusters, but mm-hmm. I, I got into like art house films and indie films. Okay. So I really wanted to be a a film director. And um, my dad was like, I'll pay for you to go to the UK to study economics, but not film. So, you know, I'm an, I'm an economics graduate. Yeah. But the, the, the point of this story is that I think there's tremendous value in helping young people understand themselves, right? Understand what is it that drives them or understand, you know, what is it that they are really interested in? And I think, you know, Ken Robinson shared a similar story about, I forget her name now, I think Jillian Ted is her name. She basically is one of the best uh, producers of musicals, right? And as a child, the teachers all thought that she, she is incapable because you know it's like asking a fish to climb a tree right i really really wish that parents will give kids the time and space to learn about themselves i think that's really the most important thing you can do for a young person but then most families and most parents just see this one path and they just sort of push the kids down down that one path right and 
kids because they haven't learned to think critically. They haven't learned to question. They just go down that path because yeah. it's what their parents expect of them. Yeah, it's exposure, right? I mean, at the end of the day, it really comes down to exposure, exposure to new ideas and new possibilities, new opportunities. And like you said, if they're not allowed to kind of explore and interact with these different opportunities that are, are everywhere, you know, everywhere all around them, then they are missing out, missing out on who they could be. And ultimately, I mean, society misses out on all of that too, you know? Placing kids potentially in the wrong professions where they could be, you know, elsewhere and doing so much more good and advancing the human race, the human species in so many different ways. But it's it's a bit of a a bit of a, a net loss, I think, at times due to some of these issues that you were just speaking of. I think that was really well said. Yeah, well, I, I guess many more young people need to listen to life as a you know. <laughs> yeah. Thanks. I like that plug. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, that's, well, I'm glad you brought that up, but that is something that, you know, equally passionate about as well. And I think it is part of this and you learning from others and, and hearing their stories and, you know, some of their, their challenges and, and also opportunities that, you know, they can take this idea here and shift it and mold it and change it into something else that applies to them and where they're at in their life or where they're at contextually, the country that they live in, the culture that they're part of. You know, that's where ideas start from. You know that as well as I do. And uh, yeah, I think all of it is interconnected here. And if we can just allow for these children to have these opportunities, you know, we we, we can really start making some changes. So yeah, no, great story there. And uh, thanks for sharing that. We are heading into the last segment here, John. It's something called a crystal ball segment. As the name implies, we're looking towards the, the future, usually it's trends, predictions, so on and so forth. And I'd be curious to know a little bit about what you're hearing within, say, ed tech or within education as a whole. You know, obviously, you know, the metaverse, which you're quite familiar with, obviously with Doyobi, maybe even there's chatter with Web3, decentralization of education, all these different things. But, you know, as someone who is truly embedded in it all, you know, what, what are people talking about right now specifically? Well, I mean... The truth is that, at least in Southeast Asia, um, ed tech is still very much focused on academic performance, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and so what I'm seeing is startups or founders or entrepreneurs that are using technology to help learning core academic subjects more effectively. And that's actually something I struggle with as an investor. Because the, the space that I, I primarily invest in is the future of work and learning. And the problem is that because almost all ad tech in Southeast Asia is focused on academic help, I can't find anything to invest in. And so, you know, in terms of what, what I think the future should look like, I think there needs to be many more startups that are about helping kids find their interests and, and passions. Startups that are about helping kids develop certain skills, right? The, actually, another problem with Doyobi is that it's very hard for me to explain to a parent what Doyobi is because we don't exist in a, in a category, right? Sorry to interrupt. I was just going to say, like, if you ever have to explain, well, what is the metaverse to somebody who doesn't know the metaverse? Or what is Web3 if you don't know Web3 or blockchain? If, you, if you're trying to explain any of those concepts to somebody who's never heard of them is an absolute nightmare. So I can imagine that trying to explain, you know, like your business being based in one of those elements and how they're all sort of interconnected, it would be a massive challenge. 
Yeah, and also the the learning outcomes, right? What what kids learn. Just yesterday, we we got an an award uh, from an organization called Holland IQ. We were um, selected as one of the top fifty ad tech startups in Southeast Asia. Wow! Congratulations. And they placed us in the category uh, Steam, right? Oh, yeah. But we're we're not Steam, right? That's not what we do. And the, the problem is that they don't have a category for us, right? There's no category category on for life skills for kids or transferable yeah. skills for kids. Actually, a friend of mine, she said the category for Adobe should be powers and smarts, right? Like, nice, I like that. But a different kind of smarts, non-academic yeah. smarts, street smarts. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I think it's another thing to add to your list. I think you need to start some sort of organization or some sort of uh, you know foundation that they promote sort of those uh, those uh, values and ideals. You create your own award, <laughs> perhaps. Well, John, it's been an absolute pleasure, and uh, you know I've really enjoyed this conversation. I think listeners are really going to come away armed with a lot more, you know, better understanding one of what's going on out there within that space, especially within EdTech and, you know, Doyobi in particular. But hopefully, you know, it allows for this agenda to move forward. So again, yeah, thanks so much for your time. I really do appreciate it. Thank you so much. Now, for those interested in learning more about John and his work, you can find out more at doyobi, doyobi.com. You can also find him personally on LinkedIn, Twitter, and he does have a newsletter that you can subscribe to. And for reference, all of this information will be included in the show notes. And two, you can share, you know, this episode. I mean, again, drawing reference to what I was just speaking of, you know, the more that we can kind of put these ideas in front of people, all the better for advancing these types of agendas. Uh, you can rate, review, and subscribe wherever you access your podcast. And if you have some time, head on over to YouTube. We will have a video conversation of the talk today there. And the interesting thing is we'll have images relating to the actual talk. So you can kind of take it in in a different manner. And finally, don't forget to tune in to the next episode of Life As A, where we'll continue to explore and unearth the details of professions and the people behind them. I'm your host, Christopher Schoenwald. Until next time, stay curious about life and living. Thank you.